Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. So can we all agree that we've had to face that awkward conversation with our parents on sex ed? I will not forget the day that I learned about it and had the talk with my parents. Um, as parents, it's a big role to undertake in preparing our children for the world and helping them grow in a world with a good understanding of situations relating to others. Um, it can be hard to know what a child should know and at what ages is it is appropriate. So to help us guide us into understanding it a bit more is clinical psychologist joining us from Indonesia, Kantiana Teslim. How are you going, Kantiana? Hi, Dina. <laughs> nice to finally meet you. By the way, um, you can just call me Nana if it's easier. Okay, perfect, Nana. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> um, so as a clinical psychologist, your focus is in a lot of areas regarding children, adolescents, and families as well. Can you tell us a bit more about what your position sort of entails? So um, right now, currently, I've been practicing as a clinical child psychologist at my joint practice with my colleagues, like called Ohana Space. And basically, uh, usually I'm handling like child, uh, children, adolescent, or like maybe sometimes I also help young adult and family to get uh, to help them get through their whatever they want me to help, like usually from the uh, sometimes development things from development issue from children like the younger children or like from the adolescent or like the school age children. It's usually more like the emotional issue or like the family issue. The things that uh, usually that parents also ask me to help is like more from the parenting side point of view. Things like that. That's my usual daily routine job. Okay. And I know that psychology is not something that you just sort of wake up in the morning and decide you want to do. So what about psychology, and especially when it comes to children and families, what got you into going through the, going through the career of psychologist? You know, maybe at first it's more, it was more like um, the wake up call for me. It was more like a personal experience because I used to have also a lot of anxieties back then when I was around elementary school and junior high school. But then I met one of my psychologists, back, a child psychologist back then that um, helped me get through my problems like for so many years. Uh, and then I think that was such a wake up call for me that, oh, I think it was not just me. And then like, maybe a lot of children also need that kind of help from the professional that 
apparently back then this psychological issue is, was not something that you talk about um, more openly. It's not like right now. I think that's the more like a wake up call for me. Well, that's it's an amazing thing mm. to be able to use your own personal experiences and put it into a career. It's mm. not something that you just wake up one morning and decide to do. So it's definitely it's nice when you can use your own experiences and sort of pass it on and help someone else. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Maybe like I hope that I still can help the children and like so many people like moving forward to. <laughs> You know, well, I, I I hope to see that. Um, so to get to know you a little bit more, we like to have a little icebreaker. Oh no! And okay. So, <laughs> so it's just to share a few of your personal, a few of the things that you like according to these keywords. So just say the first things that sort of come to your head. Mm. Okay. So the first one is your favorite book. Harry Potter. <laughs> yes. I 100% agree with that. <laughs> it, it is so much better to read the books than to watch the movies. Yeah. <laughs> How about your favorite movie? Mm. I, know, I don't know Midnight in Paris. Oh, I love you that movie. It? <laughs> yes, I've seen it so many times and I can never yeah. get tired of watching it. <laughs> Now, how about your favorite podcast? Mm, I don't know. I don't think I have one, but maybe I just start to watch you guys oh, <laughs> right okay. now because it was more like random. Like it depends on my mood, what kind of things that I want to hear at that moment. Sometimes I hear about, I listen about the comedy podcast. Sometimes I hear, I listen more like the horror one or like the guided meditation kind of things it was it is depends <laughs> it's amazing how many podcasts there are for pretty much every mm. genre as well yeah because i i honestly love watching um listening to the true crime podcasts oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i listen to that at, um on my free time so i'm kind of a mm. psycho but like <laughs> I really yeah, love listening to them. A good one. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> At least I can admit it. <laughs> okay. So starting with why you came onto the show today, we're talking about sex education and in terms of parenting as well. It's such a it's such a big thing to be able to talk about. And I think we were talking about this um, off camera as well. We are talking about how mm-hmm. much it's not broken out of, spoken about and how interesting it actually is um i think like um about sex education itself it's not something that you just suddenly talk about with your children you know that you really need to from the beginning when they're still like in early childhood you you still have to like maintain a good creating and maintain a good communication with them like um really get into that kind of, uh, you know, the authoritative parenting style where you, where you like as a parent, you know that you have the ground rules, but at the same time, you also allow your children to have uh, the, 
to to allow your children to have that open communication with you, like to throw up some of their ideas and make it into the reality. That kind of parenting that should be the ground work for the things that you want to talk about uh, in the next future, uh, including the sex education itself. I think I think that's like a lot of work to do. It's not just like pop up like overnight. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so to start off, what do you think, what do you think is your definition of parenting? Hmm. I think a lot of people have their own definition of it, but um, regardless that parenting itself, it's kind of a process and a journey where you not necessarily like only nurturing the child or like rearing the child, but also like giving them education, like putting the values, like the values that you want them to have in their life, like helping them to transitioning like through their life journey, like from the child, from the child into the adolescent and then from the adolescent into the adult. That that's kind of like the never ending, you know, never ending journey and never ending process when you get to the parenting itself. I think that's kind of like um, the definition of par- parenting for me. It's also like promoting child's uh, growth, not only like uh, physical growth, but also like emotional growth. Yeah, I think that's kind of things that overall <laughs> integration of like what kind of uh, parenting that, yeah. <laughs> it's honestly such a big like it's a loaded question it has such a big variety of definitions and so many people have sort of seen it in a very and every guest we ask that question to every guest and it's always something completely different um and it's so interesting as to how how broad of a question it actually is it's not such a clear-cut black and white statement that parenting is this because parenting is not black and white it definitely is not black and white Yeah, it's so, gray with a lot of colors. <laughs> yes, exactly. So what do you think the expectant parent um, needs to be aware of in the transition to parenthood? Um, sometimes, I don't know, like sometimes some people, like maybe some societies see the pregnancy as um, achievement or maybe a milestone to be accomplished. Um, but you know that it's not like it's a different journey for every individual, for every parents to be. Uh, as a parent, as an expectant parents, you can learn from many reliable resources that you can find, like for example, from books, like from classes that you can find it like a lot these days, like parenting classes. Um, that you can also like having a discussion with your doctors or like with any other parents that also already experience it firsthand. But, you know, um, sometimes you also, with a lot of information and like the resources that you can get, also like the discussions that you are able to have firsthand, you also have to set your realistic expectation because like, you know, sometimes like with a lot of information, we, oh, so parenting is like, I should, uh, as a parent, I should do this, 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 this. But sometimes we forget that every journey for every individual is different. Like even like you and your partner also could have a different journey as a parent, right? 
So we should like, um, as a parent, we should like set the realistic expectation for ourselves, also for the children itself, like your for your future children, because like, you know that every children also like born with like an in unique individual char- characteristic that you cannot treat them all the same. You have to pay attention to what kind of things that they need, what kind of trait that they have as a children, sort of this kind of things. So yeah, <laughs> it's more like set the expectation realistic. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Like it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting journey and it's not at all anything that you are able to sort of control, especially in your journey to understanding it. And every parent sort of goes through a completely different journey, exactly like you said. And it's so, I mean, just like parenting, there's no clear cut way of going through it. Now, going into into the question and into why we're here today, what is your definition of children's sexual education? Um, first, you know, like when we talk about sexual education, um, I don't know, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when we talk about sexual education? Just like a pre-question before I answer this. <laughs> my, it's it's so different. Like my definition of mm. I've never been asked the question, so this is very interesting. Um, my definition of children's sexual education, I think, is just understanding how your own body works and understanding the different mm. parts of your body. And um, I really like being completely nerdy about things and completely trying to understand pretty much every little part. So. I think that's like I get that such an interest in learning a lot a lot about how the body works and how important it is um, because it's something so simple that is so it does so much. So yeah, that's I think I it's, agree. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because like maybe it comes from your from your culture. It's kind of like. I don't know that you also um, get to experience the sex education firsthand, like from the early age. But um, in some cultures, uh, especially maybe in like some Asian cultures, such a, still such a taboo things to discuss about. But as I said to you earlier, when we had our conversation back then, that currently, um, thankfully, that some schools like some uh, community starts to open up to open up about this topic more, so the children could get the education, the sexual education that they need according to their age. So maybe sometimes, like uh, when people hear about sexual education, um, some people like cringe or like uh, you or some childrens like like you said giggling when we talk about sexual education. It also happens to yes. me when I was being a speaker in like some schools, when I was being a speaker, like talking about the sexual education, some children's like, yeah, miss, what is this? What, what we're going to talk about today? Things like that, because they're not used to it, right? So for me, 
as you said, that the definition of sexual education itself, it's not only about um, talking about the sexual relationship between like man and woman, woman and man, woman and woman, man and man, but it's more about like get to know your body. It's like you're aware of your body, like you appreciate it and then you have a, what a good perspective about it, like you know your body parts. And then it's also about like uh you feel comfortable in your own body. That's like the things that we also want to uh, put value into the sexual education, right? And also like, you know, with a lot of uh, crime and a lot of sexual crimes going on, like harassment, abuse, things like that, we also want to teach the children about the boundaries setting the limitation, what the people can do, what people cannot do, what they feel comfortable with, what they feel uncomfortable with, and then how to set their own boundaries. And also like, uh, it's not about only setting the boundaries for them, but also like setting boundaries for others, like how they can maintain a respect, a respectful relationship, especially with their friends, with their partners, things like that. And it's, um, you know, it's not about the one thing conversation one or one thing like teaching it's like the things that um along the way um regardless of the age of the children that it has to be done over and over and over again because it can be different from for like um, every level of age or like every level of education for the children is different right i think that's my kind of definition for sexual education it, it's so it's so interesting just how much how much it helps to sort of understand your body and understand how how it works and how it functions it's sort of the i sort of put it in the same way as nutrition like you understand what goes into your body mm. and that's like the very similar things to how i sort of see it when it comes to like a sexual understanding and understanding yourself and it's it's just that other part of yourself that you need to know about yeah <laughs> it's interesting the comparison but <laughs> sure i agree with it <laughs> it's uh, it's a weird comparison to me because like when you say like for me there's so many things that come into when you talk about sexual um education mm -hmm. it's like your sexual understanding all of that things so when it comes to parenting and it comes to talking to your mm -hmm. children about this, what is the relation between sexual education and parenting? I think, um, as we also talked about it earlier, like it's the, it's not like popping up like overnight, right? You have to put all the foundation into it, like the communication is like the trusted relationship because like without the trusted relationship between parents and the children, this kind of education or conversation will not happen, right? The parents will like, yes. um, should I talk about it? Or the children like too shy to ask about it. So the groundwork is really like the trusted uh, relationship between the parents and the children and the good communication. So it means that the parents could create a safe and uh, a safe space for the children uh, to be able to feel comfortable and like uh, to talk about it and like being honest with themselves and with the parents as the people that they trust the most. 
in this kind of uh, conversation. I think that's kind <laughs> of the relation, the most important relation between the sexual education and the parenting itself. It's very interesting because like when you're talking about it, you sort of try to relate it to how you expect parents to be able to talk to your children about it. And it's not always an easy thing because it's not something mm -hmm. that one, your child really wants to hear from you, two, that you really want to have to explain to your child. And mm. it's like you, the awkwardness is just probably pretty much a step that takes place no matter what situation you sort of dive yourself into. And there's always going to be that awkward conversation. And it kind of feels like a rite of passage to be able to like have that talk with your kid or hear that talk from your parent? Yeah, it, actually it's kind of like, uh, you, you know, that it, sometimes it's also difficult because maybe we as a parent, also like they as a parent just don't have that kind of, never experience that kind of conversation to begin with or never have that kind of education. And also maybe uh, the style of communication itself in the every family is different, right? But then um, when I also like was talking about the sexual education with the uh, in the parent session in some communities or schools, I also talked to the parents about why it is important for them to also like put a habit into themselves to really talk about it to the children or like to whatever like their partners or like every um, other people that they can like um, you know like put a, a good uh, put the use uh, of the habit to like really using the words like penis or like vagina like really use that kind of yeah. words for the body parts the true words because if parents themselves are not comfortable with using that word it's kind of like uh, confusing for them to teach their children um and it usually will end up like the children really don't know about the what's the correct the correct word for it because parents keep using like not the real word to explain things to the children so i think like the yes. habit for the parents to really talk about it with themselves with their partners or like with the other people that they they have to put the use of i mean like they have to really get used to it before they feel comfortable to talk about it with the children i think that's the important part also in this kind of like uh, talk sexual talk with your children what else i think for now it's <laughs> that's the thing that i can think about <laughs> it's such like it's so weird to sometimes have like you're having that conversation with your parent and then like I've seen so many of my friends who are sort of like we've had a huge discussion as to how you were sort of spoken to like or had the talk with them and I've got it from a cultural sense and also from like very like a western point of view and it's so interesting like the the amount of times that instead of saying the word like vagina or anything like yeah. that, they say the private part. And it's just like that yeah. if you can't, like like you said, if you can't say the word as a parent, then it's just, it's not going to work. Hmm. Yeah. Because like, as I said, um, it's also um, related with the communication things that we talked about earlier, right? When we creating as a parent, when we create a, 
safe space to talk about anything with the children, not only about sexual education. It's like um, little by little, like any topics that your children want to talk about with you, it's gonna like feel the same to them, whether they want to talk about their friends or whether they want to talk about school or their relationship or even this kind of uh, sexual talk. So when parents start to talk about uh, private matters to the children, including the sensitive topics uh, like sexual education, it will not feel like such a that heavy burden, you know, because like they already get used to it, like little by little, they putting the good communication skills and uh, sorry, good communication and trusted communication with the children from like very early. So, yeah, the it it will also like you said it will also help with the awkwardness <laughs> because it's yeah. not something that they suddenly like oh I should talk about it right now. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna have that conversation sitting and eating dinner together. Like it's not it's that's not the right time to have those kind of conversations mm. for sure. Yeah, but you know so, sometimes when um, it's just like. Uh, another point of view but sometimes when we are really in a comfortable environment with the children like eating dinner or like having game nights and then like when we eat dinner when we have a game night and we start to bring some topics that we want to talk about with them sometimes when it's like kind of the chill and relaxing environment it kind of work you know like the children could open more a bit instead of um, like, okay, uh, what time did you have? Um, because like I need to talk about this. How about after dinner? How about after school? Sometimes it makes them like, okay, what what do I do, what do, I do wrong? <laughs> like why, why my parents want to talk to me? Uh, what yes. my parents want to talk to me about? Like things like that. <laughs> no, exactly. So, so- no, I, I totally relate to that. <laughs> So speaking of the best timing, when is the best time for parents to begin that sexual education with their children? You know that uh, it's not it's never too early to talk about sexual education with your children, but you know, but uh, you also have to uh, consider the age appropriate level when you talk about topics like that. For example, mm-hmm. like to help them understand the body parts you can start from the earlier age like uh one year old or like two year old when like uh you help them get changed you help them like get to shower things like that so it uh can uh it could be like starting from there and then like maybe um more like older children like starting to uh, ask questions about when you know that sometimes like parents and children still like go into the shower together like uh, help the children to go to shower or like get changed and everything else like sometimes the children also ask questions to the parents right it's so, like for example like uh, when it's a boy and then the mom helps him like oh why is it different why I have this and you don't have uh, this kind of things gitu. Uh, like that and then you can start to explain things to your children oh so the things that you have it's called penis and the things that i have is called vagina so it's different because you're a man and i'm a woman 
things like that. So it mm-hmm. can be start early, but it also depend on like what kind of questions that your children ask or what uh, kind of uh, age appropriate level that the conversation yeah. should take place. Things like that. Mm-hmm. So for like children or older children, like teenagers, it's kind of like maybe um, the different conversation. It's like more talking about um, the puberty and then like the first relationship that they have, things like that. So it's different. Mm-hmm. So basically when they're younger, when they're really young ages, you talk about anatomy of the body and mm. those those kind of understandings to help yeah. them um, a little bit more into like why, like exactly what you said, why women and men are different, why you and me are different and things like that. So, but as they get older, like having more about relations and more about sexual relations is something that is a bit more encouraged to talk about then. Mm. Mm-hmm. And okay. also about like the, um, you know, the consent that we can teach uh, about the sexual consent or about the relation, the boundaries early, early on with the younger mm-hmm. children. Like uh, when you feel like, oh, uh, because like when we already uh, taught them about the body parts, like the uh, breast, the vagina, and like maybe uh, what's you call it the bottom part, but ass. ass. <laughs> Am I rude? I hope no, no, not. No. <laughs> like when you already teach the names about all the private parts to your children, then you can start to uh, teach them about consent. Like oh, so from this part, like the breast part and your. Uh, private parts like the ass and the vagina or the penis it's something that uh, people cannot touch the people who can touch is yourself when you clean yourself mm-hmm. up or the parents for example my uh, your mom or your dad when they help you clean up or get get to shower or get changed things like that so uh, mm-hmm. teach consent to the children and then when you feel like uh, you feel uncomfortable when people like uh, touching it or like hugging you or like uh, ask you for a kiss and things like that what should they do like uh, going to the people or like the person that they trust for example if in if it's at the school going to the teacher and like asking help or going to the crowded place to ask help to the public uh, to the person there or like uh, when they are at home call the parents things like that so it's also about the consent the sexual mm-hmm. consent or the consent boundaries, things like that, that you can also uh, teach the children from the early age. So, for example, like if a child starts preschool and they're going around with all these other kids, so if a child felt uncomfortable, for example, with a situation, if like with another child their age, like kissing them without consent, that's something that you would teach them to say, okay, it's okay to feel uncomfortable and just talk to someone in charge, talk to the teacher, tell them you don't want that to happen. So it's, it's that kind of situation where you sort of guide a little bit more into consent and boundaries. Yeah, that kind of consent and boundaries. And also like when um, the situation is like when you're playing with your friends, obviously when something happened and then besides talking to the 
uh, grown up, you can also like being assertive and talk to your friend about it. Right? I'm sorry, I don't feel I don't feel comfortable when you're doing this or this. So it's also teach them how to communicate effectively and assertively. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of things also like the things that we can teach them. And besides, like growing to grown ups, they can also like have a talk with their friends if it's also the people that they know like for example the friends and when the situation is like when they play together they can also like communicate it or uh, communicate it with their friends and also like mm-hmm. um, it's not only about when uh, it's not only about teaching them how to set boundaries with themselves but also like teaching them to how to treat others like uh, in a right way right like when you want to hug someone of course you have to ask permission with Uh, to your friends or to the people that you want to hug, for example, or to the people you want to kiss, for example, you have to ask permission for it. So it's also teach them how to treat others with respect, regardless of. Mm-hmm. It's re- it's really interesting. Um, so why is sexual education important for children to learn? Um, I think it's like more like a sum up from the topics like all the things that we already talk about is so like to give themselves uh, to teach themselves uh, being aware of their body parts to make themselves know how to treat their body with respects to clean themselves up uh, things like that and also how to set boundaries and give consent with other people when they want to do something with you or like when you want to do something with uh, other people like giving consent treat them with respect asking permission things like that and also about like uh, the safety the safety from your for your children right it's like okay so when um like i already we already talked about it like when something bad happened to you or you feel uncomfortable you feel scared about it like where you can go where you can ask for help things like that so it's also so that's why it's important to put that kind of value from the very early age to the children so along the way when they grow up they also like uh, get used to it and they know how to ask for help when they need it and also like along the way when they grow up it's not only the safety uh the boundaries from the real world but also like from the online world right when they also uh using gadgets when they already have the conversation online with their friends or with strangers sometimes from the online social media platform things like that it's also gonna mm-hmm. it stays with them you know we can also like remind them over and over again or like put some new values into it add some new values into it but it stays so the works for the parents not gonna be that much hard <laughs> it's like compared to like when you have the talk or when you teach them about it about it when they already like um, get older yeah okay so What are the most common obstacles that parents face when it comes to teaching their children of sexual education? First, um, maybe like the communication itself is like the first thing that's hard to do, right? It's like when you <laughs> really have to start the conversation. I think that's the challenge for most parents. Like, how can I start the conversation with the children? How can I like really ask them? 
about it, things like that. That's the first challenges that usually the parents faces, uh, the parents deal with. And then um, second, secondly, it's also about the, you know, um, what, uh, what do you say it? How can you say it? Like, um, about the information is like which information that I am able to tell the children, which information that uh, I know the resource is reliable, or like mm-hmm. when I don't know about some information that the child asks, what should I do? Usually the parents also feels confused when the children come to them and then ask about something that, oh, they really don't know the answer. So I say to the parents usually that it's okay if you don't know the answer, don't don't say that, oh, you know, and like make something up. It's also going to teach your children that you can lie and make something up when you don't really know about something, right? So just be honest about it. Because like we're as a role model, we have to like put it into action, you know, when the parents don't know about it, just say that you don't know. And then you can, I'm like, uh, so I'm, I don't know, uh, but I'm going to come back later with the answer. I'm going to like looking for the answer first. Maybe I'll ask to someone else, or maybe I'm just going to read some books, or maybe like we can look for the answers together, like from the books or from the reliable video that you can watch together with the children, things like that. I think that's the challenge that usually the parents faces deal with. It's it's really funny listening to some how some parents, are like all the questions that kids ask and mm-hmm. how some parents have to deal with it. Children ask the funniest questions sometimes, and there are no there are no actual answers that that you can have for a lot of them. And you can never be too prepared for how many questions a child will ask anyone. It's not just the yeah. parent, just anyone. <laughs> and usually, so, it also shocks shocks us. Like, okay, how can they ask that? <laughs> I, I, it's not even a question I've thought of, and mm. suddenly they're asking they're asking parents these questions, and I'm like, how do you get how do you get there? Because I'm I'm not even there asking that yet. <laughs> it's amazing how they can get critical along the way. Yes, exactly, and they they want a full answer as well. They expect mm. a full answer. Yeah. So what are what are some of the best practices, in your opinion, that parents can use to educate their children about sexuality? And how can they implement these practices? Um, actually, I really don't, um, I don't have like, I, I mean, like, well, best practice is kind of subjective, you know, right? That nothing that we can say that, oh, this is the best or this one is the best. But Along the way, just like uh, first, like like I said, do the groundwork first, like creating a safe space for your children to go to you and have an open communication and open a uh, good good relationship with you, and then you can use any other tools that you feel like you're comfortable with using. For example, for children younger, you can use like you know the charts, like the body charts. Or like you can also use the children's book that explains about the uh, body parts. Or you can use the, you know, the dolls 
to explain it to your children. Hmm. Just use whatever tools that you feel like it can help you to talk about it with your children. Um, mm-hmm. To make you at ease, to make the children at ease. Also, like along the way, uh, corporate some place into it. I think it's also good. Um, yeah, I think that you can use the tools that you feel like uh, you're you're comfortable with, and children can feel comfortable too when using it. And secondly, it's mm-hmm. also about like um, find about you know like as a parent, we also have to observe our children right like paying attention to them like what kind of things that they like what kind of things that they don't like who their friends are like what kind of activities they do at school things like that so put that observation uh into get uh, into knowing what kind of uh things that sparks up your child's curiosity at this moment regarding of the situation or regarding of this topic the sex education things so and start start from there it's like uh you know like you can you can like in some like relaxing session like when you have a heart-to-heart conversation you can ask your children like okay so these days what kind of things that perks up your curiosity what kind of things that you feel like you want to know things like that so just start conversation from there and also like um you can also use your own upper, uh, your own feelings and thoughts into the process of having the conversation for example like uh, you know like um, so yesterday uh, I went with my friends and then like uh, you know like telling a stories about it like uh, and my friends having a baby do you know uh, where the baby comes from like just try to uh, to get to know what kind of things that the children already know from that mm-hmm from that uh, topics so uh, yeah from we can we can start from there like from what they already know from the tools that you and the children feel comfortable using it and also the relaxing environment to start it with <laughs> i think that's the third important things that i could give <laughs> well that that's really good practices and i think like especially it's amazing how much children already know when you ask mm. them, like especially when you ask them, where do babies come from? Majority of kids at certain ages already know the answer to it. They already know what the process is. They already know where, like, usually their answer is, oh, baby comes from mommy's mom, um, tummy. And that's what they know. Mm. And so it's really, it's really interesting to, like, like you said, go off of what they already know and just sort of build up build up from there yeah build yeah. up from there and also maybe like you know we talked about it also earlier when we watch some movies and then comes the scene where the children not yes. supposed to <laughs> see but they see um usually we just like ignore it right some parents like okay just ignore it or like cover the children's eyes things like that but when the children like old enough to have that kind of conversation we can also like after watching it we can ask them like okay so you see some scenes that maybe not appropriate for your age but well you have seen it already right so um, we can start from there like what do you think about it or what do you know about it maybe at first they were like what what is this but it's important for us to like uh, get a grasp of what kind of things that they already know right from the things they saw just like make sh- making sure that they get the right information especially that when the information comes from us 
if we don't ask like we are just ignoring it um it's gonna be it's gonna be hard when they don't know about it but they look for another information the resource like not from us or like not from the reliable resources right so it's better to mm-hmm. just have the hard conversation at first but we're sure we're making sure that they know what it is and they get the trusted information i think like i think i was talking about this a little earlier when it comes to the availability of mm-hmm. movies and shows that you can watch that yeah. have explicit scenes in it that have scenes um showing between uh sexual relations and things like that so the sex scenes that come into the shows and movies and it's so interesting how like especially with streaming services now like there's no if unless you add a block to it there is no block Mm. so children are able to see pretty much anything that's Mm. on show anything that's on the um service uh, streaming service so it's the amount of resources that's there just to be able to help in terms of like the um, what's happening, what's going on and having those conversations. I think it's, it's really interesting how how common it is to show up in pretty much any situation now. Yeah, yeah. That's why um, I'm not I'm not saying that we should spy on the children as a parent, no. <laughs> but I think it's it's better if you know what kind of uh, movies or like series that comes into the online entertainment platform, you know, so which kind mm-hmm. of shows that your children watch these days. And it's also better if you really like like uh, watching that, that show, just to get to know like what kind of shows that your children watch, you know, and yeah. Um, is it something that they're not supposed to watch on that shows? So if there is, you can talk about it with them. It's like, I think there's some sin that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then like, what should we do about it? Things like that. If it's really a good movie or like a good shows to watch, but uh, need parental guidance. So yeah, you can like incorporate it into your daily routine with the child. So they can watch as long as they have parental guidance when they watch about it, about that show. Things like that. Yeah. The, the amount of times that I've walked and I've started a show or started a movie and did not realize how um, explicit its content mm. <laughs> really is, uh, is really interesting because they hide it in there so mm. well nowadays mm. and you yeah. don't know. Until you watch it. <laughs> Until exactly. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I like... Uh, so many things to do for parents these days but well yes it's it's pretty much everywhere now that you like nowadays and it's pretty much in everything that you watch so it's um good luck parents good luck parents in this day and age honestly yeah oh um such uh, just an additional things maybe if you feel like with your um daily schedules and things like that that you don't really you you cannot really like um observe or like uh, you know, like watching your children uh, over about this kind of things. Maybe it's also important to, you know, use the, what's like the kids mode or like the uh, lock, you know, like yeah. you, lock, you lock, you know, things like that. So it's, also, yeah, it's important because like uh, when we cannot like watching over them like 24 hours, right? So we can use, we should use all the things that we can use. 
Yes. Parental lock is a, is was a big thing for me growing up as well. It was pretty much on a lot of um a lot of shows. I think there's a mm. TV, the old, old TV that we had had a parental lock on it, so certain channels you weren't able to watch without the code. So, um I think we only had the kids channel and the news channel. So it was it was very interesting. Um watching things with my parents um like certain australian shows that came on <laughs> yeah so going on into practice and habit which is another aspect of the show that we love to share what is a practice that you teach your children about sex education um since i uh have no children yet. Yeah. <laughs> but usually when I talk about sex education with my clients, uh, that I use the tools that I can get uh, to make them feel comfortable and not making them feel as if like they're being talked into something that they don't really want to talk about. So it's more like a chart and, you know, like uh, it's not a doll, but it's more like, um, you know, like a chart where you can like, um put the body parts on it and then you can okay. take it off again things like that you can also like teach that body parts and teach about the gender things uh, tools like that it's for the younger children but um for the older children i usually just talk with them it's like okay so i'm more like a straightforward so it depends also with the children but uh if the children is old enough and they can talk freely, I'm just usually I'm just like talking with them. Okay, so right now you're in the uh, on the age where uh, you should uh, you, you you will hit puberty like in like a few months or things like that. So what do you know about puberty in girls? What do you know about puberty in boys? And usually when the parents there and. I also invite them to join the session, but I will ask the children first whether they're comfortable enough to have the conversation with the parents or they just want to have the conversation in private with me first. And then after that, we can see if the parents can join the session, things like that. So if the parents can join the session, so it's good. But if the parents cannot because the children feel uncomfortable with parents um, join the session, I'm just have to talk with the children. I just have to talk with them. And then after that, I have the session with the parents to tell the parents about things they should know, like the important things they should know about uh, about it, that they should be not concerned, but they should also do with the children, like the practice or the conversation that they start, can start to have with the children. I think it's mm -hmm. more like what I usually do with um, the sex education in like younger children and like more like older children. Mm -hmm. And how do you think that this practice and this conversation has impacted um, their sort of perception into life as a child that's growing up? It's interesting because sometimes it's, uh, oftentimes it differs from, for every child, right? There's child, there's the child that never have this at all, have never have this kind of talk with the parents there mm -hmm. are ch children who like actually know about it but never have guidance from the parents so you know they just know what they know so when i 
talk about it with them and like we discuss about some information for example like about um, the teenagers for example about the contraception about uh, condoms stuff like that they know but they don't really know so when they get that kind of information from me we, we have discussion about it they're like oh so that's it so oh so it's something like that that kind of thing so it's interesting and for children we who don't really know about it um they usually like at first they yeah you know they feel shy to talk about it but then oh okay they just like digest and hear about that kind of information uh mm-hmm. but then when they want to ask about the question sometimes they ask the things that they maybe they want to ask but they never know uh where or like to whom they should ask the questions to things like that so um mm-hmm. yeah it's always interesting to work with children is there ever a situation where um like especially when it comes to adolescence is it important mm. that uh for example a female learns the like sort of tries to have an understanding of the male reproductive mm. system or is it like is, do you just learn the female one and the male learns the male one i think it's important for them to know both in order to you know um, treat one another with respect they also have to know mm-hmm. about it right so uh, usually when it's in the community or at school when we have about the uh, se- se- sex education with a lot of children we never mm-hmm. like at first we never like separate them into two section like oh this is just for boys or this is just for girls no at first we always like um, put them in the same place and then we uh, explain to them about what happened with uh, girls when they hit puberty and also what happened to boys when they hit puberty about like consent stuff like that it's all in the same place so they will know what they have to know about the others and they also uh free to ask questions about it but then for more like maybe like you know sometimes like you you want to ask questions that maybe some girls or some boys feel uncomfortable to ask about in the public with like the other uh sex or the other gender like uh be around you um mm-hmm. and after that we have another uh, session that we separate them into the two rooms and then like one room for boys and one room for girls there they can mm-hmm. ask questions like the things that they uh, they didn't ask before in the previous session but they can ask uh, more questions there but uh, at first we always like put them in the same place so they will know about one another so they will know and then they will uh, we will teach them about respect boundaries things like that and after that okay um, cool. okay it's it's really interesting how that system how that system is because it's very it's something that did, does happen pretty much I think in most countries where they do have that where they do talk about it and they do talk about um, the different because it's really interesting how there are some places in the world that don't talk about the other gender they talk about mm-hmm. your gender but they don't talk about the opposite sex and. Mm-hmm. You can you can tell how you can tell the kind of people that aren't really speaking about that, and mm. especially as they get older. Like I've got a, a lot of friends who are who didn't really 
know about it until they had us as friends or they had like mm -hmm. they were in an environment where they got to talk about it so you learn a lot from friends as well and from other people around you so not just like your parents or teachers or anything how do you have those conversations with your child if they already know a lot of stuff from their friends have there been situations where that's happened yeah um, usually that's um that's where we could start right from the things that they've already known so okay what what things that you already known from your friends or like from other platform that you've already seen from there we can like oh, okay so a b c d this 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 and this so we can like from the things that they've already known okay which one that you think is like a misconception and which one is like the fact we can um talk about it and having a discussion with it uh, about it with them it's like okay if it's a misconception or if it's the fact so which resources that is reliable enough for us to know that it's a fact or if this is a misconception so things like that just start from what they already know and then like guide mm -hmm. them uh, into like what kind of things that is right and factual what kind of information that is uh, some kind of a misguided uh, information things mm -hmm. like that so going on to the next topic is going to be questions from audience and we've got mm -hmm. quite a lot of questions um, oh, okay. Quite a lot of questions sent over to us. <laughs> so the first one is, what kind of sexual behavior is considered normal as a child? Mm, here's the thing. Um, so if uh, it's kind of hard, but uh, here's the thing. If uh, what they really want to know, usually like oh, for children, young for younger children, they usually want to know about oh what what name of the body part is this what uh, function this body part can do things like that it's it could consider uh, normal you know because like oh that's the kind of level that they're in they get curious they want to know what uh, what's happened in their body right and then sometimes for children like around um, maybe like. A toddler until like uh, under five they sometimes they like uh, you know play their body parts a lot it's like uh, when they play their, their body parts a lot it's not because like you know it's not because they want to get sensation of it or things like that but it's because they're curious about their body parts so it's the time for you to explain oh what is this and what its name what uh, it used for and then what you should do and not should do about it. Like for example, you can clean it up, you can like put soap, you can like, uh, you know, like uh, when you get to shower, you can clean it, things like that. But oh, what kind of things that you shouldn't do with it? Because like, it's so important. It's such a sacred uh, things. You, you know, your body is such a sacred place for you. The things, the sacred things that you have. So, what kind of things that you shouldn't do with it? Because it can cause your body parts harm, and that it can make you feel sick or get sick. Things like that. So, just explain it to them. And also about the older children, or maybe about teenagers. If you know, watching pornography, 
about things like that um it sometimes it still could consider normal because they get to the level where they want to know about it right where they already have the information about it and they they want to know about it but then what the what things that we should do to like prevent it from happening again or like to get the facts straight when they already get exposed to it it's the things mm-hmm. that parents should know like okay have a conversation with them what they already see which one is we already talked about it which one is factual which one is a myth so why is it uh, not healthy for them to keep watching it that's the thing that's still considered normal but if the action or the behavior keep continuing over and over again and it becomes like an addiction it's the things that uh, i think that you should worry about and like you should get some help mm-hmm. because okay. like yeah if it's already happening keep happening over and over again there's something that you should know right that you should uh, treat you should help them to treat it with okay get the of the treatment that they need Okay, so the next question is, how can we limit children's exposure to explicit explicit media, given that we parents can't always be around them, especially when it comes to a school environment? Um, you know, maybe like the tools that we can use, such as kids mode, parental guidance, or like parental lock, you can, we can um, optimize that kind of things. But um, at school, I don't know about it, but sometimes like uh, when schools provided Wi-Fi connections or like the internet services, um, usually they also like, you know, put some lock into what kind of website that or like some kind, what kind of platform that the children could use or what kind of website that the children cannot um, open. I think it's important Mm -hmm. to have the partnership like a good partnership and a good communication with the schools to really like set boundaries and have a talk about it so uh, it will prevent miscommunication and like issues in the near future from the parents and the school itself Mm -hmm. so what ages do you recommend that children should be introduced to sexual education at school i think uh it's like from the early age, it's already could be introduced, right? It's like when um, they're about the preschool or like kindergarten, the sex education could use like tools like the songs, like books or like storytelling or like, you know, the charts, uh, dolls and things like that. They could pick their interests and also uh, mm-hmm. could teach them about the body parts consent things like that uh, but yeah I think you can do it like from the early, early beginning of the early childhood but then also like uh, it depends on uh, what kind of tools that you have to use regard, regarding of their age right yeah yeah it's it's really big it's really big to talk about it at school especially when it comes to the influence of friends and what the kids wouldn't find out from friends so at school i think in australia i remember um 
there was this healthy Harold that sort of came around. I was like this toy giraffe that had someone's hand mm. up it, like a puppet giraffe. And they were just talking about um, the body and anatomy. And then they had that kind of talk. So they did it through like a puppet and talking to us about our bodies. Um, that was a really cool introduction to to understanding how our bodies work. But I think especially going to a very specialist school, it was very interesting to see that it wasn't widely spoken about at school. It wasn't something that you sit down and have a conversation conversation about. So yeah, I, think I think each school is very different. Yeah, it's different. And I also think sometimes it also depends on the value that the school has, right? Because they have their own value and their own ways to uh, put the value into practice and to teach the children about it. Yes, exactly. So the next question is how to educate autistic children about sex? Mm. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, but I think it's more like if, you know, if it's severe, it will be far more difficult for the severe autistic children to have this kind of information, right? But for the mild autistic children, or like, you know, with the Asperger syndrome that could still function well in daily life, it's like we could teach them the basic things, you know, the basic mm -hmm. things like from like, um, okay, so the body parts, you know, of course, with their own ways, right? Like um, each children, like the even the autistic children has their own different ways, right? So just depends on their own ways but we can teach them the basic things like their body parts and then especially the, the consent like where people shouldn't touch them and what should you do if it happens but we should provide them with more like a simple ways if it happens like how can they ask for help it's like more a simple way for it so it's also important for them to have to have like um the people that they can trust or like the people that they can as a guardian around them just to mm -hmm. just to make sure that they are okay and they are safe but we also have to teach them the basic skills like body parts uh, awareness of their own body and more like the consent things it's like the basic things that eventually we all have to teach them yeah that that was a really interesting question when i saw it because it's like it's very mm -hmm. It's a very specialty kind of case. And I think each autistic child sort of goes through it very differently and understands things very differently. So yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting question. So the last question, and this has been asked multiple times, so I'm going to put it into one question. Mm -hmm. For Security or safety reasons, as young as what age should we make children aware of their private parts and have them understand that no one is allowed to see or touch them? Yeah, from as early as they can um, understand the instruction, I think, <laughs> when they already be able to communicate, like, for example, not mm -hmm. communicate like they um, fluent in like talking or things like that, but as long as they already understand about the instructions, that's where we should start to teach them about it. So like, 
okay. three years old as early as that. Okay, and that's that's pretty much before they go into preschool mm-hmm. and kindergarten and things like that. Yes, yes. So along the way, okay. when they hit the kindergarten or like preschools, like of course we have to uh, remind them again and like it as I said, add more value to it. But um, as long as they already get to know, like understand the instruction, how it works, we should be able to teach them the basic things. Okay. All right. That That's perfect. Now, we're going on to the last little segment of our show called The Open Mic. It gives you a chance to talk about anything that you want to share with the audience. It can be something that you are passionate about. It doesn't have to be related to this topic today at all. It can be anything that you are wanting to share with this whole audience that you have here. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd love to give the floor to you for the last few minutes of the show. Okay. Actually, I don't think I will talk much in this segment because I don't also, I also not prepare for it. I don't know what I want to talk about. But actually, like, um, you know, as a clinical psychologist, I think it's important for us to... Um, spread about uh, spread the awareness about the mental health about the education the psychological education about things like that more into the society because sometimes you know the stigma it's still really it's still getting real it's not about only in the uh, some parts of the country but i think it's like more around the world is still the stigma is still there so it's important for us to talk about it more to have this kind of like open session more so people it's important for them to like, you know, get all the information that they could get, like the, what kind of information that they want to get and they can get the access easily. But it's also important for us um, if we also like, you know, have some kind of issue. Sometimes it could be overwhelming for us to hear about, to listen about this kind of information, right, over and over again. So it's also like wise it's wise for us to like be able to select what kind of information that you need, what kind of information that you should see or listen. Because if not, you know, the overwhelming information that you get could make your condition worse. Because like, yeah, we should be able to like, uh, be able to like, you know, what select with what, which one that you really need and which one just put some... It, when like some information is really useful and some information is not that you don't really need it, things like that. So I think it's mm-hmm. important to have this kind of platform, but at the same time also like being wise to select what information that being useful to you. I think that's it. <laughs> well, that that is an amazing way to end to end the show and an amazing topic to talk about to sort of end everything. Um, I want to thank you so much, Kantia, uh, Nana, for joining me on the show today. <laughs> it, I, and, yeah, it's one hour. It's like flying by so fast. It's also like I know. Being, it's a pleasure <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you for joining. Like, you joined me straight from Indonesia, and I'm so so glad that you were able to come on and talk about this topic. It's it's really interesting. Like I said earlier, it's near and dear to my heart because it's something that I love looking into and I love talking about. Um, so yeah, thank you so much again for talking to me. Um, if there is a way that an audience member would like to get in touch with you, is there a way that they are able to? 
Oh, uh, so before I also want to thank you that you guys have been inviting me to share some information uh, and have a discussion through this podcast. Um, it's such a pleasure and like as I said, one hour is like flying by so fast. And if uh, maybe some people like uh, need uh, to get help, like uh, I'm based in Indonesia, so you can go to um, Ohana Space, like I already mentioned that that is where my current practice with my colleague so it's uh, we just we're not a, just uh, providing a session for children but also like from children until like uh, adults and like senior years so uh, that various practices that you can find in ohana space and oh um, you can go into our instagram instagram and then if you need it you can like contact our admin there's a link there so yeah, just do okay. that or like go to our website, ohanaspace.id. I think that's just it. Okay. I will have that link down below and have that available for any audiences who, any audience members who want here, who want a little bit more into what Ohana Space is. And I love that it's called Ohana Space as well because it means family and yeah. I got it. I got it straight away. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So thank you everyone for listening today. And I hope that you guys have found this as beneficial as I have. And if you want to follow us on social media or anything like that, all the links are down below. We've got our website there as well. And yeah, I hope to hear from you guys soon. Thank you so, so much for listening. And I will see you guys in the next episode. You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights Podcast. Produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent, and thanks for tuning in.